The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Welcome to Voices of Experience on Kixie AM 880 and KKNW 1150 AM, and welcome to the first day of summer. Right? Yes. Yes, and, first uh, day of summer. Live, live, live. We are live. That's right. We are, and um, solstice, right? Came at a good, is that what they call it? Yeah, solstice. Summer solstice is here. Um, but, and it's nice today. The last several days haven't, so it's kind of coming in, in, in a uh, good way. Let's put it that way. My name is Paul Casey, your host, and we have... Eric here today. He's back with us uh, live in the studio. Mm-hmm. And Eric, tell us about your spotlight for today. Yeah, so uh, we're going to speak, or I should say, I'm going to speak with Trooper Rick Johnson. Um, he's uh, going to be on the air to tell us all about why it's so important to secure your load, not only for safety, but also to keep the litter down. I think anyone that's been driving around lately, you just see a lot of litter out there. And it's not just an eyesore, but it's one of those things that can kicked up. Uh, on onto the car behind you, basically. I actually saw the other day someone driving and just part of their car flew off. I mean, it was like a little piece of trim just went flying off into the, you know, wow. to the side. Yeah, you're right. I've seen a lot more junk on the road in the last six yeah. months, eight months than ever in this area. I, I still think that'd make a great coffee table book, the oddest things ever found along the side of the road. Okay, you work on that, Eric, and get <laughs> back to us, I all will. right? Yeah. A lot of sifting through garbage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's see. I am going to talk to a John Boone, and he has a book called Strange USA, and it's fun facts about America. Okay. It's kind of fun. Nice. Lighthearted, so he'll be up first. I'll give you more of a background on him again in just a few moments. Uh, Another feature today is an Emma Nadler, and uh, she was rolling along in life, had a child. I think it was her second child. And then she had a child with disabilities. It changed her life, transformed into the negative in a very hard way. She went through depression and all mm-hmm. this, but she was able to come out of it and learn from it and thriving from it, essentially. I mean, we're not trying to be uh, you know, saying it's a good thing that happened, but right. she's right. now able to live with it. So it's an inspiration for maybe other people. We're going through that. So she's coming up today. I look forward to hearing that. I, you know, I've, I've often wondered in that situation, if you have a partner in that situation, how it affects that relationship. Does she oh. talk about that? Yes. Okay. She actually does. She does bring that up. But you're right. The dynamics change a lot. And as a matter of fact, yesterday I was having uh, lunch with a friend of mine. I totally forgot that till now and uh, told me about an acquaintance of ours, business who just had a tremendous falling out with her wife. They're divorced now. Mm. And it happened because of the two children actually had some disabilities. And I think that really just did what you said in in terms of just the marriage fell apart. Got it. So anyhow. Voices of History, a blockbuster movie, was released today 
1975, 51 mm. years ago. Okay. Do you think you have it, two Eric's? Blockbuster. Blockbuster movie, 51 I'm gonna, years I'm ago I'm going to need some time on that. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I'm going to have to do some math in my head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad you don't know it because um, that's good. Blockbuster. Yeah, okay. blockbuster movie. Can, can I ask, do you know, Is it uh, was it big in the Oscars that year? Was it? Yeah. Okay. It was big. Timeless classic for today. This is kind of a low-key song that was written in uh, 1975. And, um, oh, excuse me, yeah, it was about 1978. I just said 75 for the movie. But anyhow, yeah, the low-key classic, but it's really good. So I'll just leave it at that for today. And just, uh, you'll have to trust me at the end of the show. Uh, In keeping with our entrepreneurship and solopreneurship that I've talked about on the radio show, I talk about myths. There's eight myths about going into business for yourself, no matter if you are a solopreneur or you try to build Amazon. But um, one of the myths that I talk about is today, the customer is always right. One of the biggest myths of all. I learned the hard way on that, and I will tell you a little story about that. So that's coming up later. No comedy clip today. Gotcha. Uh, Peculiar podcast. I haven't heard one of their shows for a while. Okay, so what's this show about? It's about people with experience in public affairs, travel, fitness, and education, entertainment, and talking about entrepreneurship, as we will today. Also, really quickly, I'm going to give two tickets away for another Tacoma Rainiers game, and that will be coming up Sunday, July 2nd, 1.35 p.m. And uh, what you get with that are complimentary parking, buffet dinner, you get box seats right behind home plate. Wow. You get uh, beverages, free beverages, wine, beer, and soft drink. And that will be, again, on Sunday, June 2nd, 1.35 p.m. So we'll take the first caller that calls in with the, just calls in and gives us their name and their phone number. Give us your phone number so we can contact you. And uh, that number is 425-653-1166-425-653-1166. And again, I've done this a few times, and the people have gone to the stadium have just had a wonderful time. That's amazing. That's a great offer. And just be cl- to be clear, this is uh, live right now on Wednesday. So if you're hearing this program either on podcast or on Sunday, of course it doesn't apply. Thank you, Eric, for that. Look at the legalese. Put yes. my little legalese Well, on it's common sense because someone did call in listening to the Sunday show. It can happen. Yeah. yeah. It so happens all the that's time. That's right. You ha- have to be done now. And if you're listening Sunday, this the, is not going to And work. it's the 21st all day today, right, Eric? The longest day of Correct. the year. June 21st. That's right. Oh, it is the longest Happy day. Happy summer, of the year. everybody. Yeah. Yes. John Boone coming up next. So, if you enjoy fun facts, which I do, you know, that's why I love doing uh, voices of history. I mean, just things historically, but this is kind of a book along those lines. So you'll probably enjoy this interview with a guy by the name of Brian Uncle John Boone. He's written a number of books on this, and um, he's had a lot of volumes, and it's called kind of the Bathroom Reader Volumes. It's kind of like that sort of book. Just pick up certain things, 
But uh, he's written many books, like book on jokes, music, sports, a couple of stage musical he's written, and much more. And he was a contestant on Jeopardy. So let's pick up with my interview with um, Brian Boone. The book is called Strange USA Historical Oddities, Roadside Rarities, Unique Eats, and Amazing Americans. Describe how this book came about. We're always collecting information from all sorts of sources, from from old books, from magazines, from newspaper clippings people send us in, from documentaries, from radio shows, from TV. And we'd collected so much kind of goofy Americana and just like stuff that's just so uniquely and charmingly and amusingly American that we just thought, what if we just do just a book of American stuff and we can make it like uh, like a road trip in a book. Instead of Uncle John's bathroom reader, we'll do Uncle John's backseat of the car reader. And you can have this in the car when you're on your summer road trip. You're passing through a state and you can look up which state you're in and see that the, all the cool stuff that originated in that state or all the weird things you can stop and see. There's a quote in your book that George Carlin says, when you are born, you get a ticket to a freak show. When you're born in America, you get a front row seat. <laughs> that is our that is our credo here. So I did get a chance to read the book, and bet your real difficulty is not getting all these little tidbits, but it's really narrowing it down. Just so much stuff. It makes me feel oddly patriotic just to, to know that there's this much interesting, cool, friendly, happy stuff out there. It's, it's an affectionate look at America. Let's start with Uncle Sam then. How did he get his signature look? Not from the Revolutionary War, if you can believe it. I was kind of surprised to read that. Started with the War of 1812, when a meatpacker named Samuel Wilson, who all of his employees called Uncle Sam, because he was a good guy, was contracted with the, the government to provide the troops with meat. So he sends off of these crates marked U.S. And somebody in his plant asked, what does the U.S. stand for? And somebody else joked, well, it stands for Uncle Sam, of course. So all these crates go off to the troops, and uh, and they also hear that it's it's for Uncle Sam. And Uncle Sam just kind of takes off as like this legendary figure character because we're a young country. We don't really we didn't really have any you know legends or mythological figures yet. So after the War of 1812, the British are bitter, and editorial cartoons over there use the name Uncle Sam to kind of make fun of Americans to derisively refer to us. So in these cartoons, they would draw Uncle Sam as this just garish, grotesque, tall man made of flags, just this obnoxious idea of an American who's just covered in flags. And then the uh, the editorial cartoon, cartoonists in America saw that and decided to own it. So they're just like, we're going to take ownership of this. We like that. Yeah, yeah, we are patriotic. Yeah, we, we proudly hang our flag. So, so they started drawing Uncle Sam in this way, just, uh, you know, with all this clothing made of flags and, and just very tall and strong. And it's a Thomas Nast, the editorial cartoonist, who kind of solidified the look of, of Uncle Sam. It wasn't until the late 1800s that, uh, that Uncle Sam really got solidified as what we know that image to be today. The first North American Thanksgiving was not actually in Massachusetts, as we all thought, but in the state of Texas. Similar story to the, to the Pilgrims at Plymouth Rock with the the Native Americans, helping them feast and, and showing them how to farm. In 1540, uh, the King of Spain sent Francisco Vazquez de Coronado 
to the New World to find the fabled lost city of gold. He, of course, does not find it, but instead his men are getting desperate. They're starving. Morale is low. They don't know if they're going to survive. They don't know if they're going to live. And they come across this community of Tejas Indians in the Palo Duro Canyon. That's near what's now Amarillo. And they take pity on, on the Spanish. They feed them. They have a big party. They, they get them drunk. You know, Thanksgiving. So Coronado is so appreciative and moved that in his journals he writes down that, that this, is, this was truly a day of thanks. And so in uh, 1959, after three centuries of this being just kind of Texas lore, a, a historical rumor, the Texas Society Daughters of the American Colonists dedicate a plaque at the site of this first Thanksgiving in Amarillo, which makes it official. And so the first Thanksgiving was not in November 1620. It was on May 23rd, 1541. Who invented the corn dog? It was a man in Texas. He was, uh, he was cruising through Oklahoma, and he stopped into this little diner, and he had um, kind of a Frankfurter, like, baked inside of cornbread. And he, he thought it was fine, but, but then he realized that uh, this would be a lot better if we deep fried it, because everything is better deep fried, right? So he worked with a friend, and they came up with this cornmeal mixture, and then they put the hot dog in that and put a stick in it so it could be easily taken in and out of the oil and then held, and they call it the Krusty Kerr, which is a terrible name, and the guy, Ed Waldmeyer, his wife tells him, it's a great product, but you got to change the name. So he calls it the Cozy Dog, and he opens up a stand selling Cozy Dogs, and this is the 1940s. Meanwhile, he's off doing basic training uh, for World War II, and all these other stands in Texas start selling uh, the Cozy Dog, but they can't call it the Cozy Dog, so they call it what it is, which is a corn dog. Fascinating. You know, I looked at uh, the way the book is laid out, and you have a lot of states with their own unique stories, and I didn't see anything dedicated to Washington State until I saw that uh, talking about beastly places to love animals, and in that... It said, uh-huh. consider Elk, Washington, Tiger, Washington, and Cougar, Washington. There's hundreds of, of, of names, of place names across the U.S. that are just the name of an animal, either because somebody saw one once there, or there were a lot of them there once, or, or not at all. You know, from Alligator, Mississippi, to Duck, West Virginia, to, to Cougar, Washington, like it's a... Uh, it just sounds good. It just it just sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it really does. Well, I'm a Washington State Washington. University Cougar, so I like that. Well, there you go. Chief Seattle. We took a lot of pride. We took a lot of pride in the Cougars. Chief Seattle was referred to in the book, and it had to do with speech that he never really made. That's right. Uh, that was that was done much much later. Ted Perry wrote that for the movie for the 1972 movie Home, and it's just, it just got entrenched so quickly that people thought that that was a speech made by. Chief Seattle in, in 1854, in which he refers to a thousand rotting buffaloes on the prairie, left by the white men who shot them from a passing train. It's a great speech, but it's just not accurate. There's so many things in here that it's so difficult to cover. It is so diverse. Like I love the part about little things about Alec Baldwin, for example, trying to avoid the paparazzi and what people did to avoid that. And one of the things that he did was he literally walked down Hollywood Boulevard with his sheet covering his entire body to try not to draw attention yeah. to him. <laughs> I think that's way to go. Yeah, made, himself, made himself look like a ghost. 
Yeah. That's not going to draw attention. But. <laughs> right. And the other thing about uh, universities and, for example, the state strange university underwater basket weaving is offered at the University of California at San Diego. That's, that just became kind of the, the joke class. Like when everybody refers to a, an easy college class, it's, it's underwater basket weaving. And, uh, and then that's a real class at, at, uh, at UC San Diego because, of course, they're going to do something like that in California. What do you think about conspiracy theories? There's so much about conspiracy theories that are out there now. Do you kind of look at that with a different lens now that you've been doing what you've been doing for so long? I just sometimes think that fact is stranger than fiction, and this kind of proves it. But people are so into conspiracy theories, may or may not exist, but probably most of them don't. Would you agree with that? I love reading about them because it's just such a psychological phenomenon to me. But I just don't think many of them are true because I just don't think that many people could keep a secret. Like, you know, if uh, if we fix the moon landing, like so many people had to be in on that secret and, and nobody signed an NDA and, and, and just... Just everybody agreed to keep it secret. I just human nature isn't that way. You want to if you were a part of something that big, you'd brag about it. So you're darn right. You know you're, you're or, exactly uh, yeah. what yeah. I believe to Sandy Hook, for example. That's what I say to people. I mean, okay, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. The kids are down in a bus in Florida or something. How many people would have to be involved from the school principal to the teachers to the state patrol, the parents, the kids, someone? would go to a radio station at some yeah. point and go, you know, I know something about this. You want to hear it? It's just it's just not possible. Or, uh, you know, we have a thing in here about how George W. Bush was the inspiration for Curious George. But, like, uh, you know, I'm a writer. Writers like to brag about the stuff they do. And uh, if, the, if the authors of the Curious George books, you know, were inspired by George Bush, they, they would have said something. <laughs> sure. They would and have it, wanted to get credit for it. Anything else before we go? Uh, did you know that the Grand Canyon is haunted? No, I didn't know that. There was uh, two small plane crashes in the 1950s when uh, pilots were trying to give their, their passengers a better view, and they crashed in such a remote spot that they were never fully able to recover all the debris and uh, the remains. So there it sat in a place called Crash Canyon. Early 2000s, uh, a park ranger from the Grand Canyon goes and decides to, to hike down there and camp out. And she does. And in the middle of the night, she's awakened by voices and footsteps. And she looks out of her tent and she sees a line of people dressed in 1950s clothing walking up towards the crash site. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but that will drive me to get there. I think I'm going to stay away from the Grand Canyon now. That freaked me out. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll end with that one. Hey, thank you, Brian, for the uh, time. You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. 
Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome back to Voices of Experience. We have a winner for the Tacoma Rainiers game on June 2nd, and it's Tina. Tina A., you called in. I will get back to you with more details after the show today, maybe uh, tomorrow at the latest because it's ways away. But I will give you a call, Tina, and let you know. Congratulations. You do have the tickets for the Sunday, July 2nd, Rainier's game at 1.35 p.m. Congratulations, Tina. And, you know, she did it right. When she left the message, there was no, you know, she was very clear, concise, repeated her phone number. That's what we need, right, each and every time. You got it. Yeah. Very good. All right. Again, congratulations, Tina. You'll enjoy yourself. Voices of history today. So uh, let's start with June 17th, 1972. Okay? So that was four days ago today. Five men were arrested for breaking into the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. They were charged with felonies, burglary, uh, possession of implement, possession to implement a crime. Three of the men were Cuban exiles. One was a Cuban-American, and the fifth was James W. McCord, Jr., a former CIA agent. Of course, this led to Richard Nixon's resignation as president on August 8th, uh, 1974. Coincidentally, I'm watching a show on HBO right now. I'm into the third segment, and it was about literally the break-in hmm. to the uh, Watergate Hotel. And I, I watched it last night, and I already had this put to bed as what I was going to talk about today. It's called The Plumbers. Very good. Uh, Woody Harrelson's in it. Uh, he plays E. Howard Hunt, and Justin Thoreau plays Gordon Liddy. And uh, actually, what's interesting is that their first thing that the plumbers did, and, and they called themselves that because they wanted to stop the leaks. Gotcha. And one of them was Daniel Ellsberg, who, as you recall, historically rele- released the Pentagon Papers, which the New York Times and the Washington Post published. Nixon was irate. we got to put an end to this. And that's kind of why this was put together. So they broke into Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office in Los Angeles, try to see if they could go through the files and find something incriminating, like he's crazy, hmm. something like that. That's why they did it. But what's interesting about this is that you don't know whether you're watching the Keystone Cops <laughs> or the Three Stooges in this because they bungled everything. I mean, I think they took a creative license to make sure. it worse than it did. But even if they <laughs> did... The stuff that they did on forgot, they did just some really horrendously stupid things. <laughs> and I'm laughing half the time. It was a serious time in history, but uh, anyhow, it's uh, called again uh, The Plumbers, and it's on HBO. You know, and Woody Harrelson, from my first experience, just seeing him as an actor on Cheers, I'm sure he had things before that. But to see where he's come from just then to now, he's yes. done so many parts, and I didn't really like him on Cheers, but the the more I see him in movies throughout the years, I really like the guy. He's he's a great actor. 
I agree. He um, can play any part, like yeah. a goofball. Yeah. And then he can be, be a sheriff in, in uh, Three Billboards. He was so good in that. And, uh, yeah, he can play a number of roles and be believable. Sometimes you you know, see somebody, oh, he's going to do this way. Yeah. He does different things, and he does everything very well. I agree. He's really good. Uh, let's see. On June 18, 1983, the Space Shuttle Challenger launched into space with Dr. Sally Ride, the first American woman to travel in space. History right there. On June 19, 1865, Union soldiers arrived in Galveston, Texas, with the news that the Civil War is over and slavery in the United States is abolished. Now, June 19th, as we all know, we just passed it, has become a day to commemorate that the end of slavery called Juneteenth. Now, I looked it up. Why is it Juneteenth? And it's, it says because it's June 19th. Yeah. Now, I don't know why they just don't call it June 19th, but you know why, anybody? Other than, I mean, it has kind of a, a good ring to it. Juneteenth, okay. I kind of like it. All right. Um, yeah. Eric likes it, so that's why we'll keep it. It's yeah. our newest federal holiday, too, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, that's right. Even though it's been celebrated for, you know, a right. long, long time, obviously. All right. I have to come clean with a little bit of my addition uh, today. I got that off. I said 51 years ago, this movie, in 1975, Eric pointed out that's 48 years ago today. Otherwise, I know you guys would have got it. <laughs> I think <laughs> I might sure. have it. Okay, because of that? Yes. You just... Right. You, I, I've got a guess. Do you have a guess? Yeah, I, I guess correctly. Me and Paul were talking off air. Oh, let me I see. Guess correctly, I, didn't, I, didn't so hear I know that. what it is. All right. Um, Midnight Cowboy. <gasps> nope. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that was 1969, I, I got I a clue for you. All right. Go ahead. Oh, jeez. How did I not get this? Jaws. That's right. There it is. And that would be today. I went to the movie I, very early on. And, uh, of course, it was directed by Steven Spielberg that made countless viewers, including me, mm. I seriously, after that movie, afraid of the water for years after. I mean, I used to jump in the Pacific all the time down in California. I didn't. Well, I was a young kid, and I remember that summer not going into Lake Washington. Okay. <laughs> <Or> the, <laughs> sharks. <laughs> the sharks were there. I'm Lake Washington you. sharks. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. Um, now, it became the highest grossing film in movie history at the time, but... Two years later, it was bested in 1977 by Star Wars. Yep. Uh, so okay. it didn't have that long a run as being the highest grossing. Well, they say movie it was the history. first summer blockbuster. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. It was. Shoot, yeah, totally it was amazing. It was scary. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. On the, let's in, move to Washington State. On June 17th, 1980, the first. Northern Pacific train running between Tacoma and Seattle, it ended up being a bust. So the city of Seattle turned its sights to bring the Great Northern Line to the Northwest after Seattle granted a generous right-of-way and gave other concessions. The first Great Northern passenger train left Seattle for St. Paul, Minnesota on June 18, 1893. So wow. rail service started then. So... Anyhow, all this kind of fun things coming up. All right, so we're going to move into an interview that I had with an author and a psychotherapist. Emma Nadler transformed her own experiences as a mother with a child with disabilities and a very hard time she was having, but turned it into empathy, compassion, and humor 
with her stories, and she wrote a book called The Unlikely Village of Eden. Let's start with your daughter. She was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition. What was that? She has a rare genetic deletion. And so, unfortunately, she's missing a significant portion of DNA. This is, you say, a very rare condition. I haven't heard of anything like this before. I'm sure it's been around, but I haven't heard of this. I hadn't heard of it either before it happened to us. And, and I didn't think it would happen to us. And, and then it did. Well, what are the things then, having this condition, what does it do to an individual? Is it, does it happen early in life or can it happen later in life as well? Or was she born this way or can you educate us on that? She was born this way. Genetic deletion happens at conception. It was truly a matter of chance. And through my memoir, as we talk about the different people who came into our lives because of this deletion and because of the challenges that my daughter had to face. In the book, talk about the unexpected positive aspects of this that you discovered. Yeah, I mean, there's been a real mix, and I and I never want to make it one way or another because I think if we only talk about the good, then it it really doesn't hold these these hard pieces, the grief. And the suffering, frankly, that I've had to watch my daughter go through because she's confronted significant medical challenges. She lives on a feeding tube. She has a lot of things she has to contend with. So I want to just say there's been all of it. The unexpected beauty has been in large part the relationships that have come from our daughter. We have met the best people, just the most giving, gracious people. And I think it's also helped our family be more real and more realistic. We can be the best planners in the world and say, this is what we're going to do this year. We're going to go on a cruise in October. We're going to go to Boston and for Christmas, and we're going to kid, go with the kids here. And something like this happens, and it really demonstrates the adjustment that has to be made. I think that's one of your main messages. Yes. Paul, there's a Yiddish saying that says, we plan, God laughs. And and that pretty much sums it up. I think, you know, I had a lot of plans, as many of us do, and was coming from a real perfectionistic standpoint in, in what I thought my life would be. And I do think there's something that most people can resonate in that, where we have something in life that doesn't go to plan, and and we're not in control of it. One of the things that comes across in your book, too, is that you talk about caregivers and people with disabilities. You've experienced it personally now, you, and you think that society, in, a, in many ways, devalues both. I do, and I see that in the systemic policies for caregivers and parents. I think since the pandemic, there's been huge fallout and a lot of challenges because of a lack of support for for caregivers and parents. I mean, I had to confront my own ableism, and I still do, about how having this child and how my daughter is just as valuable as any other child. Some babies aren't born healthy, and we don't get to choose that. The pandemic, you know, maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit, and I think we can get back into it. Other thing you talked about is parenting imperfectly. You've learned to do that and not, I guess, have all these 
uh, got-tos to do every single day, but maybe you've slowed down a bit or not trying to be so perfect in all aspects of every day? I think the truth is that I'm imperfect at being imperfect. And I think that it's a practice to have that self-compassion, to, to grapple with what it, what it is to be human when you have high expectations. What is Eden's long-term prospects? She needs care for the rest of her life. And there's still a sadness when I, when I say that because she is my child and so it's different than the life that we planned for her. And I know that we are making the very best life for her that we can. When you said earlier, Paul, when you said born this way, it made me think of her favorite Lady Gaga song, Try to have some joy every single day and I mean, we, we don't more than try she she helps us do that well, that certainly comes across in your book there's no question on that now one of the things that it read towards the end she did go to was it the school called fraser school or something like that it seems yes, to me that that exactly. is just an amazing place it is it really really is and and there are some great places that specialize in working with people with autism and really get it. And that was a turning point for my daughter. She did not gel in public school. I don't want to say she got kicked out, but it didn't go well. She was able to go to this program at Fraser, which is a nonprofit organization where I live in Minnesota. And there are, there are many great organizations doing work that, that matters. And, and then she was able to be really seen and understood. I think in a, in a school environment, she was really able to belong. Who do you think your book is for? What's your primary target? My primary target is for anyone who thought life would be one way and it wasn't. It could be parents, caregivers, grandparents. I've had people approach me who are not even a, not parents and say that there was something surprising in their life that didn't turn out the way that they had planned and they really resonate with those themes to laugh and cry sometimes at the same time. That's my target audience. Anything else before we go? Well, I wrote this book because when I needed it, when my daughter got her diagnosis, it did not exist. I'm just really grateful to put this out in the world and to continue to just think about what is possible. And I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And how old is Eden now? She is almost eight. Okay. I thought it was seven or eight, somewhere in there. Yep. You got it. All yeah. right. And she's doing well, as can be. Well, please give Eden our very best... And same to you, and wish you all the good fortune going forward. Thank you so much. You as well. All right, that book is called The Unlikely Village of Eden. And uh, all you need to do is Google Emma Nadler, and that's E-M-M-A-N-A-D-L-E-R. One more time, E-M-M-A-N-A-D-L-E-R. Very, so as we continue with the show, what, Eric? I was just going to say, very strong woman, you know, to to have that in her life and to 
persevere. It's, uh, it's just amazing when I hear stories like that. Yeah, and persevere is the word. Mm-hmm. And then to just take her situation out, having an eight-year-old, mm-hmm. and then um, helping other people. And I'm amazing. sure it's going to help. So again, I'm just going to let people know about that book one more time. What was it called? I got lost my paper here. I'll come back with it in just a moment. Shouldn't have done that. Where did I go with it? <laughs> All right, let's. Um, I'll get it back to you in just yeah, a yeah, moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, the, the um, Unlikely Village of Eden. All right. By Emma Nadler. So let's move on. We're just going to have a discussion. I want to talk somewhat a little bit today about uh, entrepreneurism. And I like the new term about solopreneurism because that's what I did. They didn't call it that before. But the definition essentially is that you're really the only employee doing the business yourself, but you do have contract workers. I'm not saying it's you can do it by yourself. You have to hire out. However, you are the em- only person doing it, and that's the way you want to do it. You're not really interested in expanding it out and making, again, another Amazon. If that's what you want to do, this isn't for you, is gotcha. what I'm, I'm suggesting. But these principles, I think, can be uh, listened to and adhered to, and I learned the hard way, and then I'm going years later saying, this is what I was told. It's not true. And one of those is, I heard this, the customer is always right. Sure. That's I've heard that a million times. Wrong. Wrong. Learned the lesson. I had uh, two customers, you call them clients, that almost put me out of business twice. Okay. So they're not always right. (laughs) But you get into that feeling that they are, you give them a lot more rope or you give them a lot more time because you have that strong belief when you should have been more alert to that. And as you're in business longer, you get smarter about those things. But uh, what I'm suggesting is that, you know, the customer or client, again, can cost you your business, like I just said, like me almost twice. But um, the big thing that I, I learned along the way is trust your gut. If you think there's somebody you're doing business with that you have doubts about, you should trust it and not do it. Because both times mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. uh, in my gut telling me that, you know, this just doesn't feel right. And that's where, again, it cost me dearly because I didn't trust my gut. So it's known as firing your client. You just have to be strong enough to do that. But I also would say this, is being in business and having a number of clients over the years I go with the 90%, 5%, 5% rule. 90% of the people are fine. They'll pay their bills. They won't do anything great to help you out, I guess. <laughs> um, but they pay their bills and, and they move on. They're fine. They're good people. It's the five, Then there's the 5% who will, I think we were talking earlier, Eric, that will boost you up and bring you clients that you never even asked for. Yes. You know, and they come out of nowhere. They're you know, a gift from heaven or something, <laughs> and they're interested in your business. Hey, how about this? How about this? And, and they or, or help out. There's not a lot of them, sure. but they're there. But that's what I'm saying. This small number of people I've experienced, and I'm going to say I've probably 80 to 120 clients, maybe more over my life. It's only a small number. So if you have that doubt, move on. Yeah. That's what I'm submitting. Don't buy in to the customer is always right. Now I'm going to end with this on this uh, topic and just jump in if you have uh, anything you want to add to this, but I did get smarter. I did 
have an, another chance, it was maybe eight or nine years ago, where someone told me about a outfit, and they were selling medical devices. It's okay. not that, but it's along those lines. And um, they wanted to do a media buy. And it was like $80,000. So I'm a media buyer. Sure. What I have to do is I have to sign for the contract for the 80000 Then that person or company pays me. That's the way it works. So on this one, did not have a good feeling about it. And one of the things is, I listened to my brother on this one. Um, he's a small business owner himself. But he went out to the office. I went out and saw it. And I looked around and I saw empty offices. Mm. I saw a bunch of, uh, you know, furniture stacked up. It just seemed in disrepair. Where are the people? So I didn't have a good feeling about it. Right. And so I told a white lie. I just said, look, um, these radio stations I would buy for you on this, they require the money first up for first-time clients, no matter if I'm there or not. Yes. And he gave me this look going, oh, gosh, uh, I guess we <laughs> can't do this. Because he's betting his company on this. Sure. And then if it doesn't work, he's not going to have to pay me. Right. Because he's going to be, you know, bankrupt. Right. I could see that in his eyes when I said I couldn't do that. Six months later, they were out of business. Interesting. Yeah, I know that that's happened to me, too, in my own career selling advertising. So on the other side from media groups, um, and we call it firing your client. Sometimes there's just clients you need to fire. That's right. You, you know, you just, you're just too much of a time Time sucks, really, against what that's how I make my living. So um, you, you've you got to make those judgment calls. And as you say, the customer isn't necessarily always right. I see it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's, well, we talk about experience. That's what the show is about, voices of experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You get used to something and you get a radar and you just get a little smarter on that stuff. And, of course, it's hard early on because you're desperate to get clients. You want to get right. that, so, but you have to. Yeah. And it depends if, like you say, if you're just starting out, that's one thing. But if you're more established, I was talking to a real estate investor once that had uh, really invested in part in hundreds of different units, not just, you know, um, a house here, a triplex there kind of a thing. And I asked him about, you know, clients defaulting or in, in his case, his renters. How does it affect me? Because that's the volume helps me there. So if I have one or two or three or four that default, I have enough that are the good paying customers, the good yes. paying, you know, that, that help balance it out. Of course. So, yes, anyhow, um, that is one of the eight myths. I have uh, seven others. I think next week I'm going to talk about a myth that I believe that entrepreneurs are huge risk takers. When I don't think that's the case. I'm talking for myself, but I never considered myself that. But I'll go into that next week. Um, I just want to throw this in to both Eric's here today and see what you comment or anything you want to say about it. Or if you don't want to say anything, that's fine too. But I just, again, want to look at things like Voices of History and other things we talked about today. Find it just very interesting. Go back historically and hear what this gentleman had to say. Quote, I can assure you, that you will observe a vast wasteland. You will see a procession of game shows, formula comedies about totally unbelievable families, blood, thunder, and mayhem, violence, sadism, murder, Western bad men, Western good men, private eyes, gangsters, more violence and cartoons, and endless commercials, mayhem, screaming, cajoling, and offending. And that was Newton 
Minow, and he was the chairman of the Federal Communications Committee, and he said this in 1961. <laughs> Crystal ball. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, but you could see that coming in terms of uh, TV, and I talked to someone about that recently. Sounds pretty good to me. I don't see what the problem was. It's like, well, how do I <laughs> tune into like this? sounds like entertainment, you know? <laughs> well, there you go. I, I guess you could say that. And I, I just think in some ways TV, or we don't even call it that anymore, content is so much better today than ever. I mean, we have so many choices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there was something to be said about that in the 60s. And I start to go back when I was first watching television during that time. I don't think the shows were very good. You know, right. um, and I realized there was like the fugitive. I loved the fugitive mm-hmm. that got me. But I look around all the other shows like Batman. I thought that was stupid. And, you know, uh, some of these things I watched Batman because color TV came out. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> color TV. Anyhow, very formulaic. Yeah, very exactly. formulaic back then. But I think a lot of the shows were that way. But certainly fast forward to today. We have such a great choice of, uh, you know, shows and. Thanks for bringing back my favorite show, Batman. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what else is there? Any more meandering thoughts? But you know what? Let's do a promo, too, and let's come back with Eric Crema. You have your interview. Yep, with Trooper Rick Johnson. All right, so we'll move to that in just a few moments. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. On today's Spotlight on Success, I'm speaking with Trooper Rick Johnson, Public Affairs Officer with Washington State Patrol, and we'll be discussing the Secure Your Load for Safer Roads campaign which is being launched by the state right now. Welcome, Trooper Johnson. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Now, in the pre-interview, you said it's okay. I can call you Rick. Absolutely. I believe we talked actually in years past, but it was during COVID, so it was probably a remote interview, so pleasure to have you up here. Uh, Secure Your Load, um, pretty self-explanatory, but let's talk about the program, how it works, and why it's so important that people pay attention. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why it's so important. First of all, from the Washington State Patrol's perspective, I mean, we're out there to keep the roadways safe. That's Mm -hmm. our job, along with every law enforcement agency that patrols any roadway. And the secure your load is very important to us because every day we get calls from debris coming off of vehicles and damaging other vehicles. And so it's very important from our standpoint and to go as far as the ecology standpoint where, you know, you drive along the freeway or any roadway and you see litter. Yeah. And Department of Transportation is responsible for maintaining that roadway and their mowers come through, and the medians, and if there's a bunch of debris there, that can also be a danger to them and possibly others. 
Yeah, I didn't think about that. You know, the mower hits something, launches it off into the highway. Uh, also, just things along the median or along the the edge there that can get blown back into the highway. Right. Plus, it's unsightly. You know, just seeing all that litter. You know, this is a beautiful state. No, absolutely. And I think that I really like the campaign right now because we're looking at it from a lot of different angles and making sure that the public understands it's not just litter. It can mm-hmm. be a danger and it can cause environmental damage. And so um, we're going to give out some information just a bit of where people can learn more. But that's really the point of this conversation is just to sort of make the point that why the state is so important for them to notify the the, uh, the public about this and get the public involved. Because I feel like it's one of these things where, you know, you start to see litter and you think it's OK, uh, you know, or or you're in a rush and you think, you know what, one bungee is going to hold this ladder on my car. And, and it's just that if you just slow down and take some time, it seems to me you could solve some problems and maybe even save a life. Absolutely. I, I know time is money to people, but if something happens, it's going to affect your life possibly for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. If you end up causing bodily harm or extreme damage to other vehicles or, or people that are driving on the roadway. Yeah. I was reading an article the other day and it was a father's advice to his son. When he, once he started driving, he said, you know, one stupid decision can change your entire life. And we've kind of all been there in our youth. We've done stupid things. And I think that actually goes through your life. If, if you just stop and think, okay, you know what? Another, another rope around this or put a flag on the back to let them know it's extending, you know, back pretty far beyond my vehicle, things like that, or just plain don't litter. The consequences of not taking that moment to think it through could be huge. Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if you have debris that escapes and you're not secured your load, the infraction is $228. Now, if something comes off at your vehicle and causes bodily harm and damage to another vehicle, that enters the criminal realm. Mm. where it can potentially be a gross misdemeanor, where it's a $5,000 fine of potential jail time. So it's, it's of the utmost importance. We go back to, to the Federici law and that horrible tragedy. These are all preventable. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. Just like driving impaired is preventable. And our mission as the state patrol is to prevent these things from occurring. Right. And you're, I see it just being a driver uh, out on the roads. You, you, you look at people and you sort of shake your head. What were you thinking, you know, when you stacked all that up and you've got one bungee, like I said, holding it on? But you, you see not only that, but you see the effects of when it does damage cars, when it does cause accidents, when, you know, when it does harm people in your position. Absolutely. Every day we get calls of, of vehicles getting damaged by debris whether it be debris that it was already on the roadway kicked up by another vehicle. People want to blame everything on commercial vehicles. For the most part, they do a great job. But, you know, we encourage in our commercial vehicle division troopers, you know, get the message out. You know, if you're at a job site, clean your rails off. Make sure that nothing's going to fall and damage other vehicles. And if you're taking a, a load of, of to the transfer station. Even if you're going a couple miles, secure that because as you can see, anywhere you drive in King County, especially, you can see that there's debris that has been lost all over the place. Now you mentioned the fine, two hundred twenty-eight dollars. That's where it starts. But like you said, if you if you do some serious damage or cause an accident, it goes north of there. Well, absolutely, and it's not just you know the the infraction or possibly you know the criminal realm. I mean, you're looking at you know, insurance costs, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, the reparation for the damage that was caused and all the way up to, you know, lawsuits if, if somebody gets injured. 
Have you seen an uptick in this sorts of bad activity, if you will, since the pandemic? It seems to me driving the roads uh, after the start of the pandemic to today, uh, it was almost Wild West out there for a while. It seems to be getting reined in a little bit again, but it almost seemed like since there were less vehicles on the road, people took more risks. Well, I think, you know, during the stay at home order, you know, when the freeways were pretty much almost empty, Mm -hmm. um, I think that the people that were essential and commuting, their commute time was a lot less. And as we saw traffic start to increase as time went on, and now, you know, I don't have the numbers with me to back it up, but it sure feels like it's pre-pandemic traffic patterns. And I think with that shift back to pre-pandemic, there seems to be, uh, you know, people are more frustrated on the road because they're back to their normal commute. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as securing your load, I think, this time of year when we have nice weather, I think people are trying to clean stuff up, which is great, and cleaning up their properties, whatever they're doing. But it's just imperative that you you secure everything. Absolutely. And to learn more and, and to maybe really impress upon those younger drivers, check out Secure Your Load Washington. Just Google it and it'll pull up. I believe it's Department of Ecology. It'll come up because this is not only a safety issue, it's a litter issue. Well, uh, Trooper Rick Johnson, thank you so much for your time and your service to the state. We really appreciate it. 32 years in the business, if you will. So appreciate that. And uh, for those drivers out there who are listening right now, you know what? Next time you put that load, you go off to the dump or yard waste, uh, that sort of thing, to do the recycling, which is great. Make sure it's secure. Put a tarp over it. Put enough ropes and bungees to make sure things don't fly off and hit the driver behind you. Thanks again, Trooper Rick Johnson. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So we are out of time for the show today. Thank you, Eric Crema. And uh, what do you have for next week? Have Vince Dice. He's editor of Gig Harbor Now, a great publication that's really getting its feet under it out there in Gig Harbor. And you actually turned me on to that story. So I hope people enjoy that and learn a little bit about the peninsula. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's so good and refreshing to see a community newspaper coming back because there's been so much publicity about, and that's what got me to the story, is they're all closing down, like 15,000 United States. It's nice to see this type of um, activity going on, and how did he do it? So I'm really anxious to hear that. Uh, next week, I'm going to be, or actually in a couple of weeks now, I'm going to be talking about baseball in honor of the All-Star Game in Seattle. So uh, thank you for listening today. Quote of the week, Americans, 90% of the adults in this country are decent, hardworking, honest Americans. It's the lousy 2% that get all the publicity, but we elect them. Lily Tomlin. (laughs) This week's Timeless Classic coming up next. This week's Timeless Classic was released in August of 1977, written by Marco Pergo and Jim Kruger. It reached number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100. The ballad featured Kruger's 12-string guitar prominently. From 1977, English singer and guitarist Dave Mason, and we just disagree.
Have you changed your style and do you think that we've grown up differently? Don't seem the same since you've lost your feel for me. <laughs> 